Hey there, and welcome to Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, and I am so glad that you joined me today. This podcast is for neurodivergence by a neurodivergent. I'm an ADHD coach with ADHD and ASD, and I am here to help. So let's spend some time together now and maybe learn a few things. Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, and this week on the podcast, we're going to be starting a new series on executive functioning. There are about eight primary executive functions, but today we'll start the series with the one that I help clients with the most, and that's task initiation. But first, don't forget to hit that subscribe and five-star button as they help to boost the podcast and continue spreading awareness. Also, check out my website. I have a couple of upcoming groups and webinars that I'm really excited about for February, including Hygiene Hacks. It's back. My small group will be starting a perfectionism unit, and the ADHD and Relationships Retreat is coming at the end of the month. So don't forget to check out the site and follow me on my socials, the underscore ADHD underscore lady. Now we can dive into this week's episode. Okay, so before we can talk about executive functions individually, it's important for us to discuss the functions as a whole. So executive functions refers to the higher level cognitive skills you use to control and coordinate your other cognitive abilities and behaviors. Whereas executive dysfunction can be described as a range of cognitive, behavioral, and emotional difficulties that usually happen as a result of another disorder or brain trauma. Now, many people struggle with executive functions. It's not just ADHDers that have executive dysfunction. Um, There are many reasons that we can have poor executive functioning from one day to the next. A neurotypical person can have a bad executive functioning day because they didn't get enough sleep, they aren't well fed. Um, You know, so many different factors can play into that. But this is a very large and common issue for both ADHDers and autistic folks. And especially if you're ADHD, forget about it. (laughs) Um, So with executive dysfunction, you know, the prefrontal cortex of our brain is responsible for these executive functions. And each person is going to experience their executive dysfunction differently if they have it. We all have different strengths and weaknesses, and because this can present itself on a spectrum, these things can change where maybe for a period of your life, you are fantastic at time management and planning and organizing, and those cognitive abilities are just chef's kiss, A+. But you're terrible at task initiation. Whereas another person might be incredible at task initiation, but they will never be on time to anything ever in their life. Um, You know, so this is important for us to recognize we're not all going to struggle the same way where, you know, our struggles may overlap. It's not going to look exactly the same from person to person. And as I said before, you know, there are a lot of things externally that can impact our executive functioning and cause executive dysfunction. Again, if you're not getting enough sleep, if your stress levels are too high, if you are not eating, if you're not drinking enough water, if you're not getting enough socialization and community that your nervous system is unable to calm itself down ever. These things can all impact our ability to use these cognitive abilities. So 
it is important to recognize that there are pieces of working through that executive dysfunction that do require a tiny bit of executive functioning to get us over that hurdle. Um, so we really want to try to get ourselves in the best spot that we can, um, you know, but it is really important to make that note that it might be hard to get ourselves even set up to have better executive functioning. So that is my little disclaimer here, but we are not doomed to live a life of just executive dysfunction forever. You know, because we can start to implement some small changes through neuroplasticity, we will be able to form new neural pathways. So that is the way that, you know, coaching works. We work through different skills and strategies that you can make slow changes over time and use that neuroplasticity to create new neural pathways to form habits that are going to be more functional for you long-term. So the eight functions that we're going to be spending some time chatting about during this series are flexible thinking, working memory, self-monitoring, emotional control, organization, planning, slash prioritizing, impulse control, flexible thinking, and of course, task initiation. And because task initiation is one of the biggest struggles that ADHDers tend to have, um, especially the largest challenge that I hear from my clients in coaching, that's where we're going to begin this series. So this this episode is definitely going to hit home, um, and the executive dysfunction of it, the struggle with the task initiation, might even be affecting you in ways that you don't even realize. There are things that you may not have identified as a task initiation problem um, previous to this episode, so I'm interested to see if that changes for you as we go through. Okay, so let's talk about what task initiation is. So by definition, task initiation is our ability to self-motivate to start and finish tasks. Yep, finish. So think of all of those half-finished projects laying around your home. Yep, uh, those were likely left incomplete because of task initiation. I mean, maybe perfectionism was sprinkled in there a little bit too, <laughs> which, uh, just a reminder, that's what small group is going to be starting as our next unit in February. So if you are a perfectionist, you may want to join us for that. If not, I do have another perfectionism retreat coming up in a couple of months. Um, but task initiation, it's going to be difficult because we were not taught how to self-motivate because our brains don't self-motivate. Our brains are motivated by... Novelty and challenge and urgency and interest. And if none of those things apply to the task at hand, then our brain has a very difficult time doing that thing. I mean, think about it. When are you more likely to get the dishes done? When they're just sitting there in your sink and they're not really taking up too much space, they're not super frustrating to you just yet? Or when you're about to have company over and you know that that company needs the sink also to help you cook dinner. Then you've got the urgency behind it. So whoop, let's go. We can do this task now. Um, urgency is one of the biggest motivators that we use. And we're going to dive into that a little more in this episode um, and talk about other things that we can use outside of that, but also why we tend to use urgency. 
Because a neurotypical person can just remember the rewards and consequences of starting and finishing different tasks. And then they make a choice based on that information whether or not to actually do that task. And for most of them, they think, oh, well, if I do the dishes in the sink, I feel good about not having dishes in the sink. So I'm going to go do the dishes in the sink. And that's enough. That is enough. Whereas for us... We have to actively remind ourselves how good it feels to have that empty sink. And then also combine other strategies in with that to make it happen. You know, for us, we, we may sit there knowing the same rewards and consequences, but it's still not enough to convince our brain to get up and just do it. But see, just do it is a slogan. It's not a strategy. So I hate to break it to you, but... You won't be learning how to just do it today, okay? Just getting that out there right from the start. We will, however, talk about other ways to get your brain on the same page to hopefully help motivate it to start the tasks that you need to complete. Because knowing our mom will be annoyed if we don't rinse our dishes isn't going to be urgent enough for our brains to get that task done. The amount of times I have heard, you don't seem to care enough to do anything unless I'm yelling at you is a great example of my own personal struggle with this. It's funny enough that it was said uh, more by my ex than my parents ever did. But do you know why the yelling worked? Fear. See, fear can generate a sense of urgency, and that kicks us into fight and flight, which is really the only tool that we know how to use. Fight is where we do our best work. We have this sudden burst of energy and adrenaline because we've had all this stress piled on to finally get us moving. Because no, I don't work best under pressure. I work best when I've waited until the last minute and kicked in my fight and flight response. I work best when my body has created adrenaline to help me do the thing. And I mean, yes, sometimes we figure out our own alternative strategies along the way. But overall, urgency is the tried and true tool that we rely on to get to the finish line every single time. But we don't really know any other way, though. And that's why I would say, oh, yeah, I perform better under pressure. No, (laughs) I didn't know how to perform until there was enough pressure to kick my nervous system into gear. Partly because no one taught me how to do it, (laughs) how else to do it, I should say, but also because I didn't know until a few years ago that I had a brain that works differently. And urgency has really only been the tool that I've had to rely on because I didn't know that I could trick my brain in other ways to do the things I wanted to do but struggled to do. (laughs) See, an ADHD brain is motivated by urgency, of course, but... Again, we're motivated also by challenge and novelty and interest. So this is why you might have no issue focusing on a video game for hours, but would cry reading one chapter from a textbook that you had no interest in reading. We can learn how to use reward and consequence over time, but it takes a lot of time and effort to teach our brain that part. If we can instead drive our brain through what already works, we will have an easier time doing the thing. Now, because of this realization, the only tasks I actually have big issues with now are the ones I genuinely don't want to do or am physically incapable of doing. (laughs) Gotta love that chronically ill life. So laundry, yeah, I know how to motivate my brain to do it and put it away even. 
dishes. I've got this. Basic emails on it. But something that makes me uncomfortable that I would normally fall into avoidance on, well, that's going to need a whole different set of tools. So how do I get those other tasks done more easily now, especially without relying on urgency? Well, one thing that helped me to initiate those tasks was finding my honest why. Why should I spend time cleaning this thing? I don't like to dust, but what gets me to dust is not because it would be better for my allergies, but because dust is dirt and dead skin cells, and it tweaks my brain to think about piles of skin around my house. (laughs) So, yeah. That real truth is a better motivator than what other people think should be your reason behind doing something. So because you should dust is not good enough, (laughs) but mm, I don't want dead skin cells and dirt all over my house. Well, that convinces me a little more often to pick up that dust cloth or whatever I'm using. I really prefer those like Swiffer things. They're great. So low effort. um, And I'm doing what needs to happen. It's mentally a little easier. I'm meeting myself where I'm at and it works. But it works because the real truth is a way better motivator than what other people think should be your reason behind doing something. Okay. Just want to really enforce that. If your why is from another person, it will probably not be enough to convince your brain to have any interest in it. Another example of this is working out. I used to never be able to do any workouts at home, ever. I could only get it done at the gym. And now I actually work out at home a lot because I not only know my why, but also my barriers. See, my honest why is that I am super weak from being so hypermobile and chronically ill, and I need to get stronger so that I don't break before I'm 50. (laughs) I wish someone had told me this 15 years ago, but hey, I know now. My barrier to working out at home had a few different elements to it. So number one, I do not like to sweat. It is a sensory thing for me. It aggravates my autism. I'm not a fan. But if no one is watching me to hold me accountable, I am even more less likely to do something that gets me sweaty because I don't really want to be sweaty. And then no one is watching me anyway. So this is why I can work, you know, work out better if I am at the gym or at PT because someone is there to not only keep me focused and to hold me accountable, but also it overrides the the sensory issue for me because I am more focused on, okay, like I need to do this thing correctly. All eyes are on me. There is urgency to that. So it gets my brain to do it. But there's also the novelty of like, oh my gosh, there's all these people around. And it is more interesting to be in that kind of a space. So That's why my brain is so much happier in a gym working out than in my living room working out. But I can work out in my living room now because I know that I need a certain set of circumstances to feel more comfortable doing it, to overcome those barriers. Uh, So I ask my partner to just sit there. And the second I stop doing the workout, I'm like, please, I need you to be like my drill sergeant and tell me to keep going. Just a few more. Um, And now he does let a little more slide than maybe I'd like him to. But (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I do appreciate that he's just there with me at all, right? So this is how I work out at home now. I use my tools. I remind myself of my why, that I do need to be stronger and I don't have access to the gym every single day. So I do have to still lift some weights at home, right? I, I do need to still make an effort to get on the treadmill and move my body. So not only do I help uh, have my partner helping me to hold me accountable, but I also try to make working out as accessible as possible. My treadmill is in the middle of my office and not tucked away under the futon up here because if I had to pull it out every single time, it would never get used. It would just live under that futon and that is it. The same goes for our workout equipment downstairs. We have it nice and easy to access. It's not tucked away in a closet somewhere because it won't get used if it's hidden back there. So those are barriers that also need to be considered. But guess what? As much as I've gotten back to the gym now and we're in about two days a week and that's been incredible, I am also happy to report that I do still move at home too. And how do I get other tasks at home done like dishes? Well, it's not because my parents would be horrified with an overflowing sink, but because I do like having enough space to fill my tea kettle each morning without having to play Tetris with the dishes in there. And to take it a step further, I you know not only remind myself of that why, but I also pair the activity with positive stimulation like music or audiobooks or a video on my phone so that this way I am taking care of you know the lack of stimulation that the dishes provide. Um, reminding myself of the reason for doing it, and then also dealing with the sensory issues of dishes, which I don't like being wet um, unless I am in the shower or in a pool or a hot tub and like choosing those things actively. So putting my hand into a bucket of water or a sink of water and food and gunk is not pleasant for me. Um, so I wear gloves and I also wear an apron so that, you know, when like, as you lean over the sink, like you always tend to get a wet spot on the front of your shirt or whatever you're wearing at the time. Um, hate that, hate it so much. It's like stepping in a pool of water. Um, so I wear an apron and usually I'm wearing my indoor Crocs as well. Um, just so that like my feet are comfy and standing there then is so much less miserable because I have not only added that external stimulation to make my ADHD happy, I have also avoided the overstimulation that will be uncomfortable for my autism. So these things have made it so that doing the dishes is no longer this ugh, feeling that I have inside. Now I know if I'm doing the dishes, well, actually, that's like a really great opportunity for me to continue listening to my audiobook or oh, you know what, like, even if it's kind of hard physically today, I can actually pull like a chair or a stool up to the sink. And then that physical barrier isn't going to be as bad either. And at the end of it all, the other option is, well, even if I just do like five dishes, I don't have to clear the sink, I can just do a few. And that will even make a difference. And that will help. But lastly, I also make sure before I do a task like this, and something that has been historically undesired, is I also make sure I've met my other needs. So I make sure that I've had food and water. I make sure that I've like 
maybe given myself a little dance break, gotten some dopamine going, um, you know, gotten some movement in. I meet those needs too, because those can also be a task initiation barrier. If we're not feeding ourselves, if we're not taking care of ourselves, we have to meet those needs usually before we can do a task that's going to take a lot more out of us. And, you know, it's funny because I'm sure if a neurotypical is listening right now, someone who never has to think about this when doing dishes, you know, they're probably like, huh, I, I just do the dishes. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not what life for many of us neurodivergent folks is like. We can't just do the dishes. We need these combinations of tools to make the task more approachable for our brain. And I mean, you can ask my partner. I hated doing dishes more than any other chore in my house. But using these combined systems to help me initiate the task has actually made dishes a breeze for me. Because there was a period of time where we went to him just doing dishes and me not doing any, and then me just doing laundry and him not doing any, you know, so that we still had a, the fairness in the division of labor, but we were not stuck doing something so undesirable. Um, but now we have no problem splitting the dishes because I found how to get through all of those other hurdles. And now it's actually, <laughs> shockingly enough, kind of enjoyable. And like, I don't like cleaning necessarily, but I'm getting to a place where I don't hate it as much as I used to. Um, and that has a lot to do with me figuring all of these different hurdles out and recognizing, you know, where I need to adapt and accommodate myself. So what about all those unfinished tasks? moving forward. <laughs> um, well, those are a whole nother challenge, right? For me, what happens is as I'm working on a project that has a lot of steps, the final ones start to feel like this weight on my chest. And the reason I didn't do like more complex jewelry pieces back when I had my jewelry business is because the length of time required was going to be too difficult for me to get anything finished or the amount of effort required. I mean, I made a billion earrings because I could just bust out 10 pairs of earrings in a session instead of making just one intricate necklace design in that same sitting. Because I knew I could finish the other project. I knew I could make the earrings and have that dopamine hit be nice and fast. That's why I avoided those things that were more difficult, that were more steps, that were more intricate because that weight would come in as it was getting close to the task being done. And something that, you know, like sorting through a doom pile that started out as, oh, it's fine, I can sort this pile and make this pile, and I know exactly where all these things in this pile go, and I know exactly where all these things in this pile go. As I get to those, like, random items that I don't know what to do with, that's when that weight comes back. And it just feels like the idea of putting those things away is just so much work because part of it is I don't know where they go. It's one of my barriers. Where does this belong? These other items that I sorted from the doom box, they're, they've got a home. That goes in the bathroom. That goes downstairs in the living room. That goes with my craft supplies. 
but where do these other small things go that don't have an obvious home? Ugh, there's the weight. Or there's so many little itty-bitty things that I don't even want to deal with having to figure out where to sort them. Ugh, there's the weight. But knowing, knowing that that weight is about to hit me has actually helped me to finish more tasks. Because as soon as that weight hits, I'm like, okay, I know what this weight is. This is that task initiation. This is me getting close to the finish line and struggling to complete the task. And yes, sometimes I will save that little itty bitty collection for later. Um, but now that's an intentional choice. I'm choosing to put it to the side for when I have more spoons to fight the weight. As opposed to what I used to do was just shamefully filling a new box or a bag with those little items and then like hiding them under the bed. I mean, one time I was so overwhelmed by sorting a stack of mail that I just put it in a bag and slid it under the futon at my old apartment. And then my ex found the bag and then punched a hole in the wall because he was so angry with me for hiding this mail. For me, the task was just too big and scary, so I just tucked it away in shame because, well, then I wouldn't have to think of the guilt that I felt for not knowing how to do the task. Because as I just said, not knowing, that can be another reason for struggling with task initiation. But the reason this created more of a problem for me was because for him, there was a small piece of mail in there that he wanted sooner. And because I didn't have the skills to do the task, to know what to do with all of that mail, um, his letter was just grouped into the pile with everything else because it felt too heavy for me. Because part of it was I lived in this constant fear that I would open a letter one day and then my whole life would blow up because I opened this mail and I didn't know what was inside. And in reality, not opening the mail was actually creating a much worse situation for me. And in this particular case, a dangerous one. And now I know all of these things and I open my mail. And just as a little side note here, uh, I kid you not, the funniest thing is the reason that I was so terrified of mail was because I was like, oh my God, what if I get called to jury duty? Or what if there's like a letter saying there's like a warrant out for my arrest? Like the, the world will end. <laughs> um, since I've started opening up my mail, which started a couple years ago, um, instead of just, you know, piling it away and then uh, really only opening the things that I knew what to expect from, um, <laughs> like my bills or whatever. Um, but since I've started opening all of my mail and not living in this constant fear, I have actually gotten both a jury duty summons and a notification for a warrant. Um, and the warrant was because of a clerical error. Uh, my, I had gotten pulled over um, for something with boyfriend's car. Um, and, you know, we got a new vehicle to deal with it. Um, but I had gotten a warning and we never actually received a ticket. So I was like, okay, well, I guess everything is fine. Um, apparently not. They just didn't, uh, the mail person who like delivers to our house isn't the greatest and they never actually knock on our door when there's something that needs to be signed for. So like several times we've had things get returned because they won't just knock. Um, <laughs> so 
they apparently did send something out and our mail person never knocked because we both work at home. Like, Scott's office is downstairs. We'd hear a knock. <laughs> um, we never got a knock. And so they did send us a ticket, apparently. And if you don't pay a ticket within a certain amount of days, they do put a warrant out. Um, so now I've got nothing to fear because <laughs> I, I have uh, now gotten the jury duty summons and the the ticket that, you know, was very easily dealt with. I went and took care of it right away. The lady was like, oh, yeah, looks like it was never signed for. Huh, okay, well, we'll take care of this. And we got it all worked out. It was no big deal. Um, but those two things that I was in such fear of opening my mail up to have happened. And I have survived. And I get through this task now because I have confronted the emotions that contributed to making this task such a challenge. And I found a system that works. And it's okay to try a bunch of tools until you find the one that really helps. But remember, just because you mess up one day of using that new strategy does not mean that it failed. Because that's where we often jump to. We usually quit because, oh, well, there we go. I failed again. Great. Awesome. Just a repeat of every other day of my life. Um, don't talk to yourself like that. Just try again tomorrow. It's okay to fail. Failure is how we learn and literally is required to build up neuroplasticity. We have to miss those days and be able to try again the next day for our brain to get stronger. Just like building a muscle. You don't start at 100 pounds, you start at 5 pounds, and then you build to 10, and then you build to 15, and then you build to 20, and so on and so forth. We start small, we try to limit our stress where we can, and we find the solutions to get us to our end goal. And we will trip up along the way. I don't know a single person who has decided, I am going to be a weightlifter, and then never missed a single day at the gym. Life happens. You will miss those days. You are not a complete and total failure or sorry excuse for a human being because you miss a day. <laughs> not even if you miss a week. It's okay. You've got this. And if you find that you are still struggling... Um, I do recommend that you go back a few episodes and check out my episode on the stress tool. There are some great other task initiation strategies in that episode. It is my personal favorite strategy. Anytime I am feeling stuck, I go through all of those questions in my head and I figure out, okay, where's the barrier? What's making this hard? But that's where we're going to end today, friends. Stay tuned for our next episode in the series. We have seven other executive functions to talk about. Thanks again for tuning into another episode of Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. Don't forget to sign up for my accountability group. That's another great task initiation tool, as well as my other upcoming groups and classes and one-on-one -on -one coaching available all on my website, theadhdlady.org, or you can email theadhdlady at gmail.com. To stay up on all things the ADHD Lady, don't forget to follow my socials, IG, Facebook, TikTok, all under the ADHD Lady. This is your host, Amanda, signing off.